it filtered through to me that people were worried that the cat got left alone. And I'm like, I'm a pet owner. Of course, like, I know what happens to the cat. It was amazing that that was, I'm like, of all the things in the galaxy to be concerned about, and the fans are concerned about the cat, but totally fair. Greetings and salutations, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dagoba Dispatch. It may not be our best episode, but it is our next episode. And what an episode it is. We finally have another interview for you all, and it is a big one. Dave Filoni, the creator of The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and executive producer of The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett and showrunner of Ahsoka, is going to be here. He's going to answer our burning questions about season one of Ahsoka and talk to us about the future of both the character and the show. And it is coming up right here on the Dagobah Dispatch. Plus, we have some of your voicemails to play and there is some sexy Star Wars news we need to get into and get into it. We shall. I am Dalton Ross, joined as always by my podcasting partner in crime, Devin Kogan. What's going on, Devin? Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Uh, hit you with a surprise with that sexy Star Wars news, didn't I? Yeah, I'm curious as to what that means, and I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, we'll see. It's a broad definition, <laughs> uh, or maybe not. We'll we'll get into that. Obviously, listen. Obviously, the the big news of the day is Dave Filoni uh, that we have his big interview for you. Obviously, because of the writer strike uh, and the actor strikes, like we didn't have uh, a lot of Ahsoka uh, activity for you guys in terms of interviews, which we normally have. And so uh, it's nice now, uh, Devin was able to sit down with Dave. She'll sort of talk a little bit more, more about that in a minute before we, uh, in a few minutes before we get into the actual interview. But we got to do a little housekeeping before we get into that, Devin. First off, uh, you know, we love interacting with you all. Please do hit us on social media. You can follow us, you know, both on Twitter X, whatever that's called, uh, Instagram. Devin's probably on Facebook. I'm not. I'm on threads. I don't know what that is. I'm absolutely uh, not on Facebook. Okay. I, I didn't know. I didn't want to speak for him, but I, I deleted my account and never looked back. Best thing I ever is. did. Don't uh, miss it. Anyway, we're on some social medias. Yeah. Uh, so go find us there. But also uh, on Spotify. If you listen to this podcast on Spotify, we put up a poll every week. And last week's episode, if you haven't listened to it, I don't know. It, it Maybe that is our best episode. Maybe it's our worst. I don't know. I think <laughs> there's no middle ground on that one uh, where we basically dissected the Donnie and Marie show season three premiere, premiere from 1977, where they did a whole Star Wars uh, skit and number and song and dance action. And we, we broke it down. And so then the Spotify poll we put up was which Star Wars special do you prefer, Donnie and Marie or the Star Wars holiday special? What do you think, one, Devin? I feel like the holiday special, just because more people have seen it. That's yeah. my guess. Yeah, I mean, no one has seen Don and Marie uh, except, except for us. For us. <laughs> uh, holiday special took eighty-five percent of the vote. Don and Marie got fourteen. Once again, that does not equal a hundred, but uh, there are the results. And actually, there was some news uh, that that uh, Devin that there's going to be a documentary on the Star Wars holiday special. I did see that, and I'm like, that's a great idea. I want to know everything about went into the what went into the making of that. I have many questions um, for all of the producers, which is just mostly, first of all, why? And second question, how? Uh, and third question, why again? 
Well, I, it's also interesting from a logistical standpoint because are they using footage? Are they allowed to use footage? What are the rights issues there? Like, is it going to be a whole documentary on the Star Wars holiday special that literally doesn't show you a single second of the holiday special? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how that works, but we will get into rights issues actually in a minute on another concern. But anyway, go check that out. That's Spotify. Well, there was also, Devin, some the week before that, I guess, we did our episode on Christian Holub's Star Wars marathon viewing suggestions. And I guess some people responded there to that as well. Has that swayed you at all in terms of uh, the way you would watch Star Wars? No, but every most people were saying the correct answer, which is chronological order, which is four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. Um, and then, you know, Solo and Rogue One as sort of their their own special category. Um, but no, thank you. That was fun to hear you guys all write in and talk about like, you know, um, somebody just did their first watch ever like in the last six months uh you know and and hasn't even seen rogue one until indoor season two comes out which is a really fascinating idea i think for me i'm like oh go go watch rogue one um you certainly we hear dalton talk about it so much on this very podcast <laughs> yeah that is true I, and also, I mean, maybe this is a good segue because we also mentioned that we have a voicemail message uh, yes. line you guys can call to leave us a message anytime about anything. It can be about something we discuss. It can be something about anything Star Wars related. And you know what? Honestly, it doesn't even have to be Star Wars related <laughs> if you don't want. Uh, 657-799-1566. 657-799-1566. And I believe our, our first call this week actually maybe has to do with Marathon watching uh, Sammy what do we got? In, what do we got uh, st- sitting in the voicemail bag this weekend? Digging into the voicemail bag. Actually, I missed. I missed coming on to the pod to to say voicemail. So please call in with all of your thoughts. As Dalton said, maybe not even Star Wars thoughts. So our first voicemail this week is from Sneaky from Southeast LA, who has a different different order of watching Star Wars. Hi, this is uh, Sneaky from Southeast LA, and I'm calling in response to the marathon. Um, so I actually had a similar thing as Dalton where the girl I'm currently dating had uh, had tried to get into Star Wars before. The guys had tried to watch it with her, and she just was not about it. And I kind of told her, if, you're gonna, if we're going to be together, we got to try to do the Star Wars thing. And uh, I actually started with Rogue One, which um, I heard y'all did not like that idea. But I started with Rogue One because I felt like visually – like for someone who was just trying to get back into it visually, like the effects and the and the the cinematography and everything is great, and and it's just like a good way to like capture someone into like like you said all the things we love about Star Wars, and then from there we went into New Hope, Empire. We did a flashback and we watched Episode One, Two, and then we got into the Clone Wars animated in between Episode Two and Three. And she got hooked on that and ended up binging all of Clone Wars without me. And then we watched uh, Return, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Jedi, and then we watched started watching Mandalorian, which actually made the separate, this is the second, the Disney trilogy make way more sense. Um, and then, yeah, we ended with Skywalker, which, yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but I mean, it does kind of just set up like, the the next possible phase of what's going to happen in the future of Star Wars, which I think is exciting. So that's my two cents. Um, love the show. Have gone back and listened to all the old episodes. And uh, yeah, keep 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 them coming. Talk to y'all later. Bye. All right, a lot to get into there. First off, is it sneaky or sneaky? Because I think he says sneaky. I think there's an H in there. 
Yeah, I think he put an H in there. I like it. It's a sneaky way of pronouncing sneaky. Um, there's a lot to get to here from sneaky. Uh, first off, he mentioned a Rogue One and starting with Rogue One. I mean, I guess it makes sense in terms of the title of the movie uh, is one. But I we, we, we had our discussion uh, about this, Devin, and, and I really did like ending the binge with Rogue One because it is such a full circle moment. You get back to literally the second where you started, right, with that boarding of the ship. So I kind of like ending with Rogue One there, uh, but interesting to start with it. I also found it interesting how his girlfriend got obsessed with the Clone Wars. First of all, is he dating Lauren Morgan? Do we know this? <laughs> Do we have confirmation on this from that from that uh, little tidbit of info? But, you know, the Clone Wars, and I, I, to be fair, I have not gone back and watched the Clone Wars movie since it came out. But I, I, I think everyone would agree that's not peak Clone Wars, right? Like Clone Wars, like season two started to really pick up. Oh, the uh, show is so much better than the movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of watching Clone Wars before watching Revenge of the Sith. It's like, oh no, all these characters that you know and got to love. It's, it's going to be, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a brutal, brutal ending for a lot of them. Um, but no, I love the idea of, you know, kind of treating Clone Wars as like sort of part of this canon and part of this, this marathon. Um, because I do think it adds so much to the, the viewing and I think it adds so much, so much to the watch. Um, so I think I, I love that idea. It's not for everybody, but I, I think it's a, it's a fun idea. Yeah, it's going to take you, the, the only one logistical issue with it is it's going to take you a while to get to Revenge of the Sith, oh, right? Yeah. Like Clone Wars is like a, what, seven season show or something? I think yeah. like it's not, that's not a quick and easy, like one night watch a movie situation. So you, it is interesting, but you're going to have a while to do it till, till Sith. Also, Schneeky, props to you for going back and listening to all these old episodes. And I will say to everyone, as we talked about getting rolling, hopefully with some interviews in the future, obviously we just had our stretch where we didn't have a lot because of these dual strikes, but- Go back to our catalog and there's just tons and tons of interviews with anyone you could possibly want from the Star Wars universe, uh, including the stars of The Acolyte, which is not showed up yet, and Skeleton Crew. So go hit our catalog and check that out. All right. Uh, Sammy, we have another voicemail. Who's this one from? This next voicemail is from our friend Nick, who uh, presents a very, very interesting theory, a real, a real chin scratcher, if you will. Hey, guys. It's Nick from Jersey. First of all, I just want to say we're up to six choppers in the house, so thanks a lot for the help on that one. Secondly, Devin, this is the second episode in a row where you've talked about needing or wanting a costume, so get my digits, hit me up. We'll see what we can get you uh, in time for the next celebration. Thirdly, and most importantly, I came up with a theory while listening to the episode that may blow your mind. So Donnie and Marie played Luke and Leia. Donnie and Marie are brother and sister. Is this where George Lucas got the idea? to make Luke and Leia brother and sister. Think about it. Devin, someone uh, tweeted us something similar to this, and this is how dense I am. Is it, it like, it, I didn't even really, as I watched this stupid Donnie Marie show, I didn't really make the connection. Like, like at this point, you know, that Donnie and Marie are siblings, that Luke and Leia were siblings, although we didn't know it at the time. And um, yeah, interesting. What do you think, Devin? Is this the inspiration for uh, for 
George Lucas making Luke and Leia siblings? I love the idea of George Lucas turning on the television to watch uh, the Dottie and Marie special based on his own IP and going, yes, that's the vibe I want. That is that is 100% the vibe that we're, you know, Return of the Jedi doesn't come out for another like six years, but that is that is the vibe we want. Um, in which case, I wish he took more from the Dottie and Marie special. We could have had dancing stormtroopers and mm. like... Uh, whatever was happening with Vader there and uh, all this ridiculousness. I, I do wonder if, you know, I love, I talked about this last week, the idea of uh, R2 not being able to go up the ramp to get into the so weird good. space shuttle. I so wonder good. if like years later when they were uh, making the prequels, uh, George Lucas was like, we got to have little, little turbo jet rockets for R2 yep. so he could get yep. up the, the ramp for the Donnie and Marie special. The turbojet rockets are literally one of the things in Star Wars that drives me the craziest. Like, it's just like, what, we forgot he had those? I mean, it's just so dumb. Um, by the way, Devin has completely gone over to the dark side uh, with this Donnie Marie special. She spent, like, a lot of time creating a GIF, or GIF, if you will, uh, of dancing stormtroopers. I mean, I don't know how to create a gift, but you you were determined, Devin, apparently. I oh, This weekend, I was tweeting out the episode, you know, saying this is one that I really love and go listen to it. And I realized that there are no good gifs of the Donnie Marie Star Wars special. What a shocker. What and I was shocker. like, I can't find any that I want to use. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pull up the video on YouTube and make it myself. So now, if you need a gif of the dancing stormtroopers, and specifically the stormtroopers when they're like, they make their big entrance and then they start yeah. doing like jazz hand snaps. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. So now I have that. It's literally saved on my desktop right now. And it's, I, I'm going to use this. For everything. For, for everything. every Star Wars tweet you ever did. Just in our work Slack, when somebody yep. says something, Star Wars, yep. I'm just going to show up with my, yep. that's me. Snapping, snapping along like a stormtrooper. You can really snap well, by the way. Can I? Like, that was really crisp. It must just be the the fancy microphones yeah. making it sound nice and nice and good. Maybe I have a second career as or a, that, ahead of me as a snapping stormtrooper. I think that's it. And and just for those that missed the episode, just to give you the more visual in your mind is that they're dancing to the Temptations "Get Ready," which makes so, it so much better. Um, yeah, which is great. And by the way, those that don't know that Nick from Jersey, that's our former co-host Lauren Morgan's husband. And you know he kind of like acted like he's a little like it's our fault that his wife has six choppers <laughs> in the house and nick anytime she comes on all i do is make fun of her for buying too many choppers so i'm on your side dude i've been your biggest advocate in the world for less star wars stuff specifically chopper toys coming into your house oh see i'm an enabler i'm like every time we have a we have a group text chain with lauren and every time lauren texts us with like something she found on shop disney or some some vintage ebay find she's like should i buy this my answer is always yes i'm always like yes you need it <laughs> whatever it is it doesn't matter if it's a um life day chewbacca tree ornament if it's a weird like a limited edition poster i'm always like buy it i'm uh, you and i are the the angel and devil on on lauren morgan's shoulders being and i'm yeah. the one who's like buy it <laughs> yeah you you are the devil because you're just you're you wouldn't buy it you're just living vicariously through her you're like i don't want this crap in my apartment no, so no, no. You i buy mean it. dalton <laughs> You, you've seen on Zoom my apartment. Like I have so many. I love an, a weird impulse purchase. You know, for my thirtieth birthday, I bought myself a sword, and I now have two swords hanging on my wall. I love a weird geeky impulse purchase, so I will always be here to validate it. If you want to buy a lightsaber, if you want to buy five lightsabers, do it. 
life is too short not to have, do it do it like do it. life is too short not to have like six different choppers in your house but also nick i am very intrigued by the idea of by your incredible costume making skills and i might take you up on this maybe i will cosplay at our next star wars celebration um i gotta i gotta, but should. i feel like i gotta start planning it now 100 percent, you should and look i don't want to sell out lauren morgan but i would say that Roughly, I don't know, what do you think, Devin? 78% of her texts in that text chain are literally shop Disney items. Oh, 100%. I mean, like, it's just yeah. all it is. I mean, but she's really good at finding the really weird ones. Like I said, like the the Life Day, like commemorative yeah. Hallmark ornament or something yeah. like that. And we're not talking just like, hey, look at this cool lightsaber. Hey, look at this cool poster. She she finds the really weird, interesting stuff. And it's it's a skill. Look, as someone right, who well, also spends too much time online shopping, I can I respect it. Well, uh, listen, uh, send us a voicemail. You can get in on the show and in on the action. 657-799-1566. You can react to anything here or get our opinions on anything or just whatever sort of nonsense you want to spew. Uh, Speaking of weird and interesting, as Devin just said, I did come across a little piece of Star Wars news, Devin. And this comes from the website of KOIN, which is a CBS affiliate in Portland. Uh, which has a news about a big show coming to town. I'll read you the headline. May the force be with Portland, colon. Sexy Star Wars parody show comes to town. So let me read you a little part of this article. It says, a Star Wars-inspired striptease has already taken over performance venues in cities across Canada, Europe, and the U.S. Now, sexy stormtroopers and other scantily clad characters from the popular franchise are gracing Portland audiences. All right, so Devin, this is basically, as it says, a Star Wars-inspired striptease burlesque show with all these characters. Do you want to guess what the show is called? Ooh, it's got to have a really good punny title. Yep. Um... I guess I'm not off the top of my head. I mean, yeah, it's it's a hard it's a yeah. hard task on the top of your head. But is, is it an incredible pun? I bet it's an incredible pun. It's pretty pun. good. It's pretty good. It is the title of the show is The Empire Strips Back. Incredible. Ten out uh, of ten. No notes. <laughs> it is a burlesque parody of the iconic space opera. It started in Australia, has since expanded to meet the growing demand for international dates. The producer believes the show has performed well among audiences because it's reached the quote unquote Magical sweet spot. I don't know if that's like a double entendre or not, Devin, with magical sweet spot. And the magical sweet spot, according to him, is comedy, dancing, and a Star Wars homage sharing the same stage. Even though the performance is a comedy, the cast and crew have taken the production seriously. The show features well-thought-out costuming, talented dancers, and naturally a life-size job of the hut that will make audiences feel like they're in Star Wars uh, themselves. So here's my question, Devin. This is coming uh, to Portland, and it's also going to a few other places. We'll get into it in a second. How much would you pay for a ticket to the Empire Strips Back? Oh, I would pay money to go see this. And the thing is, this is not the first time I've heard about this. I know there's a bunch of burlesque dancers who like are geeky themed and do you know like Star Wars themed things. But I will say. Thinking of dancing sexy stormtroopers, all I can think about is the stormtroopers in the Donnie and Marie special. The sexy lady stormtroopers? Yeah. That's all I can that, think about. That, Devin, that's rated G compared to this. I I, the, I I watched some sort of like trailer and these are like G-string essentially stormtroopers with like weird, like not a lot of clothing. Like those sexy stormtroopers had a fair amount of, they were, they're shapely, but 
you know, a fair amount of clothing. This is just, you know, you can imagine what it is. Uh, tickets start at $47. Although if you want emperor's seating, which is the first two rows, that's $119. Uh, I'm also and, intrigued by why Job of the Hut is there. Well, so I, yeah, and it does, it's really weird. So Lauren and I went to the Star Wars fan exhibit, which was all fan-made items, which was interesting. And there's some really good stuff. There was some not good stuff. Like the Ewoks were really kind of scary looking, <laughs> like and demented. Uh, and and the Job of the Hut does not really look that much like Job of the Hut. But there's like, so like it's C-3PO has boobs. Uh, Luke, for some reason, is like a pantless woman washing her land speeder, kind of like Megan Fox in a Transformers movie. Okay. There's like sexy Tuscan Raiders, a sexy Emperor's Guard. I thought you were going to say sexy Emperor, and I was like, that's that's maybe there, a bit too far. There for might me. be that too. <laughs> I don't I don't know who's to say. Now, th- I was upsetting because Devin, you and I were sleeping on the job because this was in New York this summer, and apparently it was in L.A. earlier this year as well. We missed out. We totally. They got to go out. back on tour, and well, we got to go and report back. And, and I know. Wow. This would have been an. Listen, if we could do an episode of Donnie and Marie, we would have done an entire episode on the Empire Strips Back. You know, put the kids to bed. <laughs> it's time for Day of a Dispatch after dark, everybody. Uh, it's nine in the morning here. This is this is un- no. <laughs> I'm just saying. Listen, it's their show. It's not mine. Uh, anyway, it's going to be in Portland till December 9th. I guess it's also coming to Atlanta and Toronto. Uh, so if you live in those places, you can see this show. Unfortunately, Devin and I missed it. We'll have to catch it on the on the next round. But if any of you have ever have actually attended this, or yes, please please call us and leave us a voicemail. I'm very curious. I will say, like, I mean. You know, a lot of it's what you expect. It's sort of like, it's almost like a sexy, slutty Halloween costume, whatever. You know what I mean? But like the C-3PO with boobs, like it's, it's a little disturbing. I mean, it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's it harkens back to Metropolis, which was George yeah, Lucas's original inspiration for, yeah. for C-3PO. So actually, I think it is very intellectual. Right, C-3PO well, with I, boobs. I, I, I've watched the trailer for the show. It's not intellectual. <laughs> I, I can guarantee you that. Uh, all right, let's get a little intellectual. We got Dave Filoni coming up here in just a, just a second. Devin, uh, without spoiling your interview with Dave Filoni, anything you want to say about your chat with the uh, Ahsoka showrunner before we get into it? No, I'm just so grateful to him for taking the time because, you know, as us on the show and everybody who's been listening, um, you know, a lot of questions about kind of how this show got made. And obviously it's such a, you know, a personal story for him having, you know, kind of co-created this character gosh, I mean, 15 years ago at this point. Um, so it's been a really, really long journey. So it was really interesting to get to talk to him. Um, and there is there is one moment um, that I have brought up in the show that I did not bring up to him. He brought up on his own that I won't spoil it, but that that made me very happy. He answered one of my my lingering questions about, about Ahsoka. So. He's listening to the podcast. Clearly, he's <laughs> listening to what Devin's uh, laying out there, and he's got. He knew he, he knew it was coming, so he tried to beat you to the punch. He took a preemptive strike against <laughs> Devin to get it, to get an answer out there. Um, all right. Well, listen, Devin did speak with uh, Dave Filoni, the ah- Ahsoka showrunner, about everything that went down in season one and what the future holds for both the character and the show. And we will play that entire interview for you right after this quick break. Thank you 
you so much, Dave, for taking time out yeah. of your day. Is it my pleasure? Is it nice to actually be able to like talk about the show? Because I know you've worked on it for literally years. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's exciting. I'm just you know, it's many levels. Just glad to to get it out there in the first place. You never know. You have a lot of stories. A lot of people have great stories. Sometimes it's hard to pick, you know, what actually gets made, what doesn't, and it feels like a real privilege to just be able to create in this world and in this galaxy and and make something so it you know that thrill has never gone away in my almost 20 years it's real exciting and i'm grateful for the opportunity yeah i mean that was something i kind of wanted to ask you i mean you've worked on so many different star wars projects both in the animated and the live action spaces what if anything felt different about about making a show like ahsoka I don't know. I mean, I think that generally it can be just be said that by and large, live action reaches a, a, a bigger audience, a broader audience. Animation, which I love and is, is my roots of storytelling. You know, you know, you're speaking at times to a more focused crowd, but very devoted fans. And, and it's really because of that fandom and the kids that grew up with Clone Wars and Rebels that, you know, I think really helped propel uh, me into the opportunity to even make live action. Uh, because they were so excited about these characters and the stories we had told on Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, it's a different experience for sure. I talk about it with Kathy Kennedy quite a bit because when she first came to Lucasfilm, she asked what I would like to do in the future. And I said, well, maybe live action. George, it really inspired me through his uh, mentoring to think it was something that maybe I could do where I never thought that was something I would be capable of but you know things change as people uh you know give you confidence and she really set up situations that you know made it a possibility for me to attempt it and i'm really glad she did and it's uh it's a very concrete medium in the way that what happens on the day is that is what it is where in animation i can fine-tune it a lot but that didn't bother me i mean we have such a great team i i get to collaborate with such great people like john and Carrie Beck and Kathy Kennedy. So it's, I mean, I'm in, I'm well supported in, in all of my endeavors. Absolutely. And I imagine it's especially fun on a show like this to, to get to explore this character of Ahsoka you've spent so much time with, you know, I got to speak to Rosario Dawson before the show. And she told me that you guys talked a lot about, you know, Ahsoka in comparison to like that Gandalf, the gray Gandalf, the white <laughs> journey. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about kind of how that influenced, you know, so this this version of Ahsoka in in the show. Well, I grew up reading Lord of the Rings. It was something that my mom read The Hobbit to my brother and I when we were very little. And then the three book trilogy of Lord of the Rings sat on the shelf. And she would often say when we were very little, we were not ready for it. You know, it is a bit scary. It's a bit more intense. It's bigger in every way. And when I finally got to reading it, I was just fascinated by the world building and the characters. And I was it was very interesting, the transformative nature of Gandalf from being the kind of Ronin wanderer that he was helping people, but somewhat unsure of himself to the transformation to being Gandalf the White, somebody that maybe he wasn't ready to become, but needed to be for everybody else and for himself. And so, you know, over the years... I, I just was really fascinated by it and all those characters. I was really fascinated by Eowyn 
and what makes her tick. I was fascinated that she stood alone while everybody else had collapsed out of fear, and yet she wasn't afraid to stand up to this evil. So there, there's these powerful images that were put in my mind as a kid, and and I think I was definitely exploring some of that and related to my own experiences as a storyteller. But for me, the idea that Jedi come out of a samurai tradition of Kurosawa films and films that influenced George Lucas, I identified that in this time, I really wanted Ahsoka to be a ronin, a wanderer, not unlike Yojimbo. And her struggle is really that of who is she really meant to be now that, you know, she understands her whole world collapsed, but not just that, that the Jedi Order fell apart, but that her mentor became one of the most evil people in the galaxy, this person she looked up to. And it's devastating. And I never showed her deal with that. So in understanding that she would have kind of these second thoughts about herself or hesitations to teach or be a mentor, I thought, well, this is kind of like Gandalf. He's not fully committed to the the task. He he thinks he is, but he's not. And so I wanted a character that could we could watch have that transformation where she fully accepts not just who she was, but what her past was about, what the good things were about, you know, this mentor she had. <clears throat> and it changes who she is and who she can be in the future. So, you know, you just kind of borrow from things that inspire you. And that's across everything I do. I mean, there's a lot of wolves in my work because I simply just like wolves. I love my dogs, you know, and yeah, it's 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 levels of fun and it has deeper levels as well. And it, and hopefully it comes together in a successful way. But there's always these required readings or viewings that I give the actors before we start. And a lot of the crew, I'll tell them what movies I was watching when I made something, what music I was listening to when I wrote it, what there's a plethora of things. And a lot of it still stems from my own childhood and my parents who greatly influenced my creativity uh, at an early age. Yeah. And like you said, this is very much a story about kind of master and apprentice. We see it mm-hmm. with Ahsoka and Anakin, and we see it with Ahsoka and Sabine. Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to pair kind of Ahsoka and Sabine. I think some people were maybe a little surprised that Sabine would sort of want to follow her on this this path of the Jedi. Yeah, it was something that I really got interested in when we made Star Wars Rebels. You know, Tia Sarkar did an incredible job with the character Sabine. And bringing her to life and and through working with her and understanding the voice of the character, I understood the character better. And, and she became so much more by the end of that series than just a warrior. She, she had a real struggle. She, she was a fighter. She was kind of brash. She reminded me a lot of Anakin in a lot of ways. And I thought this is a really good pairing because for Ahsoka, I could see a tendency to want to teach somebody that reminds her of her mentor. But I can also see the danger that would be present in that. So the familiarity can go two ways. And I just really liked Sabine and her reckless nature. It reminded me, like, again, of Anakin and Ahsoka's pairing. And there was a lot to kind of unwind there in in her own history. It had to be complicated. And it was even better if they just weren't getting along at the beginning. The idea that she's not incredibly adept at wielding the Force, I think, is a strong thing. Because when I was a kid... Yeah, I never really considered it's amazing now fans and and how the Star Wars franchise has evolved. There are all these thoughts and opinions and groups, and you can find different camps on how they think everything works. But very fundamentally, if you just pay attention to the films George made, you understand that the force is an energy field created by all living things. So the force emanates from all of us and everything, right? All living things. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. So she's not absent from the force. 
She is part of the force. Part of the problem is it's like anything in life that you want to do. You have to train hard to acquire the skills. So it's not that everyone can become a Jedi and everybody cannot become a Jedi because we know there are things in our life, take martial arts skills or even something like yoga and say, if I did that, that's better for me. That's healthier. That's empowering. So why don't we all do it? It takes time. It takes commitment. And even people that do it don't all turn out to be great at it. So in Star Wars, I'm sure people are aware, obviously, that there are Jedi Knights. Fewer people are even aware that the Force exists. They don't understand how the Jedi do what they do. But like Qui-Gon says, to train to be a Jedi, is it's a hard life. It's difficult to do. Many people would never even come close to achieving their goal of manipulating an object without the Force, let alone pushing or pulling somebody else because then that person's will is set against you and that makes it even harder. So I wanted to tell the story though of like a very, she's a very talented warrior. She's a very talented person, but this is not something that's easy for her. And I think that that makes it relatable to people where generally in Star Wars, we've always seen very gifted people be trained. And I wanted to show kind of the opposite with the warning that if she achieves her potential, there's also a danger in that because of the way she is as a warrior, she prone to anger, all the things that makes Ahsoka concerned could flare up. So I don't know. It was kind of fun. It was fun, you know, hearing the debate that people were having about it. And, uh, you know, that we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it definitely sets things up really interestingly. And it's such a fun pairing to have the have the two of them together. Yeah, they could be fun, right? I mean, Rosario and Natasha, they're fantastic. So. Oh, it's so great. And I'm curious, you know, before the show aired, I got to speak to Carrie Beck and she kind okay. of pointed out the parallels between, you know, this being a story of Master and Apprentice and kind of your own journey with Lucasfilm, you know, especially getting to learn from George Lucas. Was that something you were thinking about as you were kind of working on the show? I don't know that I was conscious of that. <laughs> like, it's interesting when you when you look at something after a while and you've been working on it. And I start to look and I go, oh, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if I'm rubbing off on this. I'm, I get, Maybe Ahsoka's not the only one working through some things. But I think that's just being an artist. I don't think there's any, it wasn't, I think it's weird to be conscious of that. I think you're just creating from what you know. And in my life, you know, I've been very fortunate to have some great mentors, you know, whether it be John, whether it be Kathy, whether it be George, even before that, some of the animation directors I worked with that really took me under their wing and showed me how to, to work in the industry. I'm always grateful for that experience. You know, it's like teachers, you know, there are people that I really look up to because they have this knowledge and they actively choose to share it and they give up so much of their time to pass on what they know, what they've learned to other people really with the goal of you then aspiring to greater heights than they have. And that's, a really wonderful selfless thing and it's knowledge. And so it's just something inherent in the Jedi, it's inherent in life. And, you know, my job now in a lot of ways is to mentor people at Lucasfilm who come in, whether it's the animation division or elsewhere, and just pass on a lot of the things that I learned from George. And, you know, I take that very seriously. So I guess that it's no wonder it's reflected in the work that I've uh, been doing. That makes total sense. And I wanted to specifically ask about bringing in the world between worlds. Like, how did you want to kind of approach bringing that into live action and, you know, kind of setting up that conversation between Ahsoka and Anakin? The, the way I think about that, 
is is more a, a, as like a cinematic device and a way to tell the story of the Clone Wars without you having to watch the entire Clone Wars. You know, when I did it for Rebels, <clears throat> it was for a different purpose. It was really for Ezra to relive his experience of his mentor dying and to kind of bring Ahsoka into that story in a nice way and have him do something selfless for somebody else, which was, you know, just as valuable, if not more than doing it for what he wanted it to, you know, be, which is save his master. In this story, knowing that I had that kind of device, I wanted to use it as the transition point between, you know, Ahsoka before and Ahsoka after and make that a real change in her and have her actually confront Anakin and the questions that she would have about him the fact that he became Darth Vader, which remains largely unspoken in the scenes, but is definitely present in the scenes. You know that she understands it. And Ariana does a great job at, at showing us that without us just saying it and kind of devolving into a, a Star Wars history lesson. It becomes a much more powerful thing of this young girl who's mentoring to this powerful Jedi who becomes an evil person. And what does that mean? And she has unresolved issues with it. So it was really around that and and one of my touchstones for it was in the film kagemusha you have the the man who's pretending to be the king to be the emperor he's confronted by a vision of of the emperor you know basically it seems mad at him because he's unsure of himself and there's it's a very surrealistic uh image like dreamlike state that you see in that movie and the whole nighttime battle where he kind of like you know stems the tide during the night is shot with these large red lights and smoke and all these different kind of surrealistic color palettes, of course, that we use. So that was kind of the touchstone that we were using for those sequences to make them feel a bit more abstract. So it feels like this is something that's possibly just in Ahsoka's mind. We don't even know where Ahsoka is, what's going on here, but we are reliving something that's important for the audience to know. And so that's kind of how I looked at it for uh, the series, the live action series. Yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Hayden Christensen's performance because, you know, this is a character he's played so many versions of. I know he was just an Obi-Wan Kenobi, but this is, you know, kind of the first time we see Anakin kind of after the events of Return of the Jedi. And he's playing like multiple different versions of, of Anakin. How did, you know, kind of what conversations did you have with him about kind of this version of, of Anakin? Well, I've been looking forward to this, to working with, with Hayden for a very long time. You know, we met several years ago at a celebration and we just we we have an instant connection you know not the least of which is because we both worked with George and we both have such a great respect for George Lucas and what he's created and so it was kind of amazing to have somebody that had this experience for me to talk to and would know the things I was talking about related to Anakin and how George saw him and we just we really understood each other and the language of it. And he was very interested in what we'd done in Clone Wars with the heroic Anakin, which he didn't really get a chance to be in the films because it's really about Anakin's downfall. So he had done a lot of watching and he's talked about that. And um, we just discussed, you know, this isn't really a story about Anakin, but it's in, it's important how Ahsoka sees Anakin because this is her lived experience. Your story was already told in George's saga. That's done. But it is important for her because you're her mentor. And you have to be both. I was always saying you have to be the great person that she admired, that we all admired. That when I was a kid and I heard that Luke's father was Anakin Skywalker, 
And I was like, he must have been the greatest Jedi ever. Let's let's fulfill that promise because we saw you be young. We saw you be adventurous, but really fall to the dark side. We saw you making the decisions that became critical in your life that made you succumb to Palpatine's deception. But let's show you as the heroic older brother, the person that kind of cracks wise and makes jokes and, you know, can be serious, but completely cavalier. And he was all for it. Like he dove so far into it. It was almost, you know, just amazing. It gave me pause just to stand there and look at him in the costume standing next to Ariana, because in my mind, it's really no different. No matter what the medium was, the image is always Anakin with Ahsoka. You know, those two characters, this older brother, younger sister dynamic. It kind of almost feels like something out of American Graffiti, you know, when they're in the car. And and, and uh, I think Mackenzie Phillips is the one in the car. And she's trying to, you know, hold course with uh, with um, Milner, right? It's It's just... It's that dynamic that those two have, and they and they had it. And I thought they both did an incredible job uh, in those scenes and and humanized this character, who up until that point really felt like a Ronin wanderer, very much to herself, doesn't want to open up, uh, and then that kind of broke that wide open going forward in the show. Yeah, that's one hundred percent like the tipping point where you can right. literally like see she's like lighter after that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rosaria did that really well too. We talked about that. You can ask her. Like we we were very conscious of of how kind of stoic she seemed at time versus like you know I think a lot of people's perception of Ahsoka is still based on the fourteen to sixteen year old girl she was during the Clone Wars, which is where she gets her nickname Snips. You know, and it's snippy and fun, and she can be a bit bratish and you know, push, push the limits of, come on, kid, you're annoying me, you know, but she's meant to do that. But now she's much older. And so it's different for people. So I think having the complete picture with Ariana and Rosario together, making the character really tells you it is that same person. And now we can move forward with it. That makes total sense. And we have to talk about Chopper. Uh-oh. I know I know you guys had an actual chopper droid on set. Sure. How did it feel getting to to voice him again and bring him into live action? Well, Chopper's his own thing. He's that's <laughs> taken on a life that I didn't fully appreciate. I didn't understand how much fan momentum there is around him and and that caught me off guard. I don't think about it a lot. I mean, he's just part of the crew, but uh the the prop department built this incredible droid. And the way his head wobbles and the way he moves around. And it's it really, again, when you're trying to tell these stories and you have such incredibly talented people supporting it and a part of it, there's nothing you can't do. And so we have this droid that was every bit what it was supposed was supposed to be. It's he's different than R2, which is a must, you know, and he's got a different personality. I always said if if R2 is a dog, Chopper's a cat, he's a lot more into himself and what he wants. Um, it was super fun. In fact, I could argue we probably at the end of the day didn't do enough with him. We could have done more with Chopper, maybe, but it's not Chopper's story. But there could be a whole show about just Chopper and that loath cat because that was the only thing that I heard so much about. You know, it filtered to me. I don't do the social media or any of that stuff. I don't read a lot of the things, but it filtered through to me that people were worried that the cat got left alone. And I'm like, I'm a pet owner. Of course, like, I know what happens to the cat. But it was amazing that that was, I'm like, of all the things in the galaxy to be concerned about, and the fans are concerned about the cat, but totally fair. And so, you know, I sat down, I'm like, 
the cat, obviously, there's there's a couple things at play, I think. First, I think Sabine would leave the door cracked open. Second of all, I think Murley's smart enough to be able to move through the ventilation ducts up and down that tower. I think he, he doesn't need to operate the elevator, though I wouldn't question if he could. But I think he can move up and down the elevator and, and the duct work to get out there to the ground level. And then maybe, you know, there are other loft cats around. He's not the only one. But I don't think that Murley is what I call a domestic cat. I think it's a wild cat that lives with Sabine and she likes that fact and feeds it because it's her buddy out there. But Murley knows it's a good situation, so it hangs out. Murley's an opportunist, you know, and probably a bit of a pain in the butt because it's a cat. But yeah, I mean, obviously there could be a whole documentary on what happens with a love cat. <laughs> and it was a great puppet. It just goes to show you, you know, people love animals, I guess, and Chopper. I am so glad you brought this up because I'm a cat right? owner and See? I had the exact same question. I was like, is that, but no, I think you're right. I think cats, you know, uh, can anyone really own a cat? Cats kind of do their, their I don't know. I think they own you, <laughs> but it's interesting. You know, it's like, and, and it's always a thrill when the fans love stuff like that, because when I was a kid, I loved stuff like that. And so the fact that they can look on stuff, you know, I think Sabine and her, and her big dog, her, her, uh, howler really, you know, Natasha's incredibly good at making you believe that thing is there. I don't I don't think people realize she's acting against a piece of blue foam most of the time. And yet I really believe her. And she did such a great job with that and the noti and it just all really came together. I mean, everybody gave it their best. And, you know, I think uh, I, I hope the audience feels it was a special thing. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask, um, you know, you have such an incredible cast on this show, but I want to specifically talk about Ray Stevenson, who is so extraordinary in this as as Balin Skoll. Tell me a little bit about kind of your memories of, of working with him on set. Yeah, I mean, Ray, it's 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 beyond tragic. It's a huge loss. Um, I met Ray doing voice work. Uh, he worked for me on Rebels and created the uh, character there. and. Um, we did a little in Clone Wars. And, and the reason I was so interested in working with Ray is he's obviously talented. He's obviously an incredibly good actor, but he's what, you know, the human being, the person he was, he was so kind and so big on life when he walked in the room, he lit everybody up. He was so joyful. He was so happy and, 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 and so articulate and smart. And so when I was conceiving of this character, that I wanted to do for a long time. I knew Ray was the person for this. I just like, he's the person that can play both sides of this and understand that Balin's a man with incredible ambition, perhaps dangerous ambition, but that he never sees it that way. He thinks he's on the track of what the truth is and everybody else has it wrong. And that person can seem very wise and very quizzical, but they're also very dangerous. And, you know, when I was talking with Ray about the character, we'd have a lot of discussions. He would be thinking about it constantly on the weekend and he'd want to add little things to the costume details that increase, you know, the depth of the journey that this character was on. And, you know, I learned a lot about the character. Once I explained what I was thinking to Ray, he came back with all this information ideas and it was funny as we were shooting i'd, I'd remind him like you know Rick, you're the villain here right you understand that and he's like i don't think so i'm like okay i appreciate that you don't think so <laughs> and that balen wouldn't think he's the villain but you are a villain in this and he's like we'll see and i'm 
<laughs> okay. It was kind of perfect. And he creates a great community around him. He draws people in. He makes you feel at home. He's so funny. All the actors were such a team, you know, together and in love collaborating. And I, and I can't mention Ray without mentioning Shauna, my, my, my costume lead. And she was so prolific and loved what we were doing. She was so looked forward to making this series. And, 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 and again, it's incredibly tragic that she passed away because she, she really understood the creativity of what this series could be in every little detail, in every little stitch, she knew it was important and added story. She didn't, this was just creating a costume. She was creating a life. She was creating a, a lived experience that these actors could embody. And she collaborated with them on all of that. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic and it's sad, but at the same time, I just saw something today, an incredible new figure of Rosario as Ahsoka came out and the costume is so detailed with such accuracy. I think of Shauna. And in that way, I still see Shauna and she's still there. And, you know, going forward, it will be a challenge. But uh, we, like I said, we have a great team and these were meaningful people to us. You know, they were collaborators and friends and uh, they will be missed. And I'm just so glad they were a part of uh, this show so that every time I watch it, I think of them. And there's no no time that won't happen. You know, they'll always be uh, there in spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody I've talked to about this show just talks about it being just such a magical experience and everyone being so committed to, like you said, that attention to detail and that, and that love. Well, we want to have fun doing it. You know, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, especially, you know, the amount of time and stuff we're going to put into it. But, you know, George said to me once, if you can't have fun making Star Wars, what can you have fun doing? And I think he's right. It's like, it, it, it's never lost on me every day what we get to do. You know, we get to tell these stories go on these adventures, have all these people come together who commonly love creating and telling stories. It's an incredible privilege. And I do feel as, you know, the showrunner and and one of the directors of it, I want to create an environment where people feel like they can do their best and be their best and encourage that. And, you know, just like a Jedi is supposed to mentor their Padawan, I try to do that for the team. And yet at the same time, I, I feel I'm still so new to this medium that I'm learning as well. And I get to work with all these great people. And so it becomes a shared experience making making these stories and not just this is what I want. It should be this way. It's it's we know what we're trying to do. And yet there's still discovery. And that discovery is a spark of what really brings it to life on screen. That makes total sense. And I mean, I'm curious, you know, the 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 season ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. You've got Balin and the Mortis gods. You've got Thrawn and Ezra back in our galaxy. Ahsoka and Sabine stranded. I know a second season hasn't been announced yet. Do you know where we might see some of these characters again? Sure. I always know. Like, I knew at the end of Rebels. Like, <laughs> I had a lot of ideas back then. And then they formulate and they come out in different ways. I mean, I always talk, you know, it's like the only way I can do this and keep up with it is if I have an idea of where it all goes. That doesn't mean that I stick to it like it's a recipe. But I do have in mind when I start any given project where I think it should end up. Otherwise, I don't understand why I'm telling the story. And it it has to be about the emotional experiences of the character and what it means for them and what it means on a human scale, not about something Star Wars. And that gets very challenging the farther you go with the story because you're collecting all this information that's about 
you know, this particular universe. And so, you know, those statues are the mortis gods, right? But other people that have never seen rebels will have no idea what that is, never seen Clone Wars. They won't know. The idea in the end for me is that's okay. As long as you understand those are monolithic figures and it means something, that's the power of that image, right? This person has found this massive scale sculpture that's unlike anything we've seen on that planet up to that point. The question you're supposed to ask is, what does that mean? If you know more than that, that's fine. When I was a kid, you know, I watched A New Hope and heard about the Clone Wars and the Jedi Knights. I didn't know what any of that was, but it didn't take away from it for me. It just made it feel like there was a sense of history and depth to the storytelling. So that's what you know I was trying to do there. And I've set up several threads that can continue. But if not, then I feel like, well, at least I got Ezra home and that was really important. So that's kind of the way I look at that. But there's always a plan. When I start a story, I usually have a note on this is the critical thing that we're trying to get to. And that's what I'm trying to, you know, we do the animation things or anything else. Uh, I'm always, what is this about? And that can change. It can evolve. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. I hope, you know, one day we'll see it. Could be very cool. Took a while to get this one done. So you never know. It's always in motion is the future. So you're never sure what way the wheels are going to turn. And so to kind of wrap things up, um, I'm curious, when you think back to the filming process, was there like a particular scene or a day on set where you like geeked out the hardest or you just were like, oh, my God, I'm so excited that I'm here doing this this thing? It seems weird to pick any one day. And there were so many moments that while I'm, you know, I know every stitch and every bolt and where everything goes, it's still an awesome experience to walk on set and see it. And I think for me, the weirdest one had to be when, and there were a lot of great moments with so many of the people and characters, but when I saw Ariana as young Ahsoka, that was a real thunderbolt because that was that character in that form is really the first thing that I contributed to star Wars and at Lucasfilm. She was a discussion point from really day one with George and I, you know, in the very beginning. And I remember drawing that character and figuring out what she was going to look like before anybody was even aware that Anakin even had a Padawan. And so there was this awesome moment where Ariana was sitting there on the ground, kind of kneeling. And she was telling, I don't know what she was talking about, but she was just telling this story to a bunch of guys dressed as clones. And it was the most one-to-one real thing I'd ever seen. And I just sat there and stared at it. And it was so, she wasn't acting. She wasn't being Ahsoka, but she was being so Ahsoka. And I was like, wow, it's exactly what it was. This young girl captivated all these soldiers because she's got that charisma. She was that thing. And, you know, it was that was kind of really jaw-dropping for me. And those were very fun days. Those are the days where people would just filter onto the set that normally aren't there because they just wanted to stand there and watch it, you know, and we had planned that whole sequence to a T and the, I'll tell you a funny one too. We had obviously Darth Vader there for a moment, right? When the flash appears, well, all Vader had to do was walk in a line and we lined it up, but so many people come down just to see somebody (laughs) in a Darth Vader costume walking in a straight line. You realize the power of these 
characters and these images and these archetypes that George Lucas created, you know, and that's, that's a real responsibility because you never want that to lessen. You have to keep that as the powerful thing it is. And I liked in the show that, you know, we really just kept Vader as the icon of the danger, the evil, the power. This is if what we turn into, if we're not careful, you know? And so I think that was, it's such an effective image. I only wanted to flash it on screen. I didn't want to rely on it. And I thought that Hayden, once you understood that that was within him, that he could equally show that through his ferocity of performance. And, uh, you know, his lightsaber skills are just insane. I mean, he is the chosen one. There's no doubt that he was just top notch. He is the expert. He is, he's been doing this for, for a very long time. <laughs> oh, so exciting. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Well, I will let you go, but thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. I really appreciate it. And it's so fun to get to pick your brain about all these My pleasure. cool details. No, I'm so glad. Thanks for, you know, having an interest and in doing an article. I know the show's past and the, the cycle moves on in the industry and I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's nice for the people that did all the work on this to be celebrated a bit. And, uh, we've all made it through an intense time and, you know, this is now the beginning of something new. So it's, Hopefully it's part of the excitement in the future of what's to come. Thanks so much to Dave Filoni for hanging out with us this week. And thank you for hanging out with us as well. And if you want to thank us, please make sure to tell your friends about the podcast and please subscribe to the podcast and please rate the podcast and write the podcast to review. I'm going to stop saying podcast now. Anyway, that would be really awesome. Also, leave us a voicemail message about anything you want. Just call us and say what you got to say at 657-799-1566 and you can be part of the show. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.